Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 9 of the 2017-2018 curling season. This week we chat with Colton Flash about his team's victory at the College Clean Restoration Classic in Saskatoon on the weekend. We catch up with 2017 US champion Jamie Sinclair. We continue our road to Summerside series with 2006 Briar champion Jean-Michel Ménard and Nadine Scotland whose team won their first event of the season on the weekend. In our feature interview this week, we take you to Spain, a country that is not a traditional European curling power, but is the home of our guest, Aranju Garcia, who not only won a bronze medal at the 2014 World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship, but also happens to be a terrific ambassador for the sport of curling and who just recently became a doctor. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. Our first guest this week will be Colton Flash, but before we chat with Colton, here is our one-minute recap of Week 8 action from around the world. There were two big European events on the weekend, with Team Gushu defeating Team Osrud 5-2 in the final of the Swiss Cup Basel, and Team Pets of Switzerland defeating Team Kim of Korea 9-8 in the final at the popular Stockholm Ladies' Cup in Sweden. Meanwhile in Vernon, BC, Team Homan defeated Team Gim of Korea 10-4 in the women's final at the Prestige Hotels and Resorts Curling Classic, while Team Gwynyard of Vancouver defeated Team Sheke of Kelowna 4-3 in the men's final. Nadine Scotland defended her title at the Avenir Cash Peel in Edmonton by defeating Team Mart Haller in the women's final by a score of 7-6, while Team Suchinski defeated Team Zhu of China 6-4 in the men's final. Seven of the top 15 men's teams in the world were in Saskatoon for the College Clean Restoration Classic, but it was a 20-ranked team flash that claimed the title, winning the final 4-3 over Chang Min Kim and his team from Korea, playing in their third final of the young season. As mentioned, Colden Flash joined us to discuss his team's victory at the College Clean Restoration Curling Classic this past weekend in Saskatoon. Colton, how were you and your team able to deal with the nerves that come with skipping in your first World Curling Tour final and playing in your first final as a team? Well, luckily enough, actually, it hasn't been my first final as a skip on a WCT event before. I have skipped a WCT final once before in Swan River quite a few years ago now. But I just draw off all the experience that I do have, you know, playing with Team Laycock over the past few years, and we've been in multiple finals. And, you know, that, that experience definitely definitely helps me through this. And, you know, the guys the guys played very well considering, you know, it was it was their first final. At a WCT event, and I think you know just the experience that I've drawn from from my my past would it did help those guys as well. You played in a tight final against a Korean team that has played very well so far this season, and it came down to a steal in the eighth end. Can you take our audience through that end and how you managed to steal the victory? Yeah, you know it was uh, it was actually a really well played end by by both teams. Um, they missed an early tick, so it was the first shot. They missed the tick, and we put up two perfect guards, and they tried to take again. It didn't work perfectly, you know, and then our uh, second down, Marsh, put one perfectly right on the button, dead buried behind two guards, and we just continued to, to guard it all end, and uh, he did make a good shot on his second last one to tap it out about a quarter in the open or so, maybe a third. Um, unfortunately, I came a little heavy on my last draw to give him a shot for the win. If I make my last one, I don't know if he would have had a, even a shot for the win, but unfortunately I did miss that. But uh, he did come up and rack on the guard. On a, he tried peeling out a quarter rock that was about 
Yeah, about a quarter rock open. If I had spoken to you last week and told you that you would win in Saskatoon in an event where seven of the top 15 teams in the world were competing, what would you have told me? I did not expect us to come out and win this event by any means. You know, it's it's a great field, you know, having to come through. You know, there's, there's tons of top teams here. There's McEwen, Crothers, Epping, Laycock, all these teams. And, you know, to come out on top, and the way we did it, I would have never expected that. But that being said, I know we do have the potential. And I knew we had the potential before this. So it's just a matter of time, time of when we were going to come out and do this. It just was unexpected to be this early, and it's very satisfying to be this early. Typically, it takes a while for a team to develop the type of cohesion that is required to win events. What has allowed your team and your new teammates to gel so quickly? Yeah, you know, Kevin and Dan Marsh are two of my closest friends. So, you know, that that definitely helps. And we know each other quite well. And and Trent as well. Like, it, it really helps having four guys that are very good friends on a team. And, you know... Just it, it it doesn't usually happen a team gelling this early, but um, it's a it's a good feeling that it has happened. Um, I don't know if there's any simple formula for it, or it's just something that happens. And finally, Colton, is it safe to assume that winning an event that that has this caliber of field will give your team a lot of confidence as you prepare for the Olympic pre-trials next month in Summerside? Yeah, no, the pre-trials are going. It's something that we we are definitely looking forward to, and you know. The fact that we can go out and win now, you know, it it definitely gives you that encouragement to be able to go out and win, and uh, it also gives us a little bit more experience. You know, if you get into uh, get into playoffs, there, you know, we can draw off some of this experience. It's going to be even more pressure and more nervous, but you know, being through uh, at least the final does help help you through that uh, that pressure. This week, we continue the Road to Summerside series by interviewing two more skips that will lead their teams into the Canadian pre-trials in Summerside PEI in November. Our first guest on the Road to Summerside is Jean-Michel Menal, a 2006 Canadian champion who has appeared in a total of 11 briars. Menal and his team from Quebec have participated in the Olympic pre-trials in both 2009 and 2013. Jean-Michel, you've been to the Olympic pre-trials twice now. What have you learned at those two events that might give your team an advantage going into Summerside? Well, no, it, they're shorter events, though, uh, compared to, like, for example, our provincial championship, which is you know, a full week, full long week with uh, big round robins and the, and the briar. You had played 11 games of round robin. Well, back back then, not, not this year. Uh, you need a quick start off the gate. If not, uh, you pretty quickly find yourself into trouble. Uh, last two uh, uh, pre, uh, well, pre-trials were triple knockout, and we ended up losing two of their first three games, so ended up... In the uh, milk run in the sea, made a no, won a few games, but that wasn't enough. So I think it's important for uh, for a team to uh, be on their game right from the start, win a couple of games to you know, eventually maybe position themselves correctly for uh, later on in the event, and not being faced with a must-win situation like in on the second day. You just mentioned that one of the keys at an event like the pre-trials is to get off to a good start. And I understand that there's no magic formula to getting on a roll, but what are some of the things that you and the team will focus on early in the event to gauge if you are pointed in the right direction? Well, often often we find that uh, as a team, that when we start playing well, is we've got a good feel on the ice. Uh, sweepers can easily identify what's the speed of the ice, if there's any speed tracks. And for myself, it's being able to easily read the ice, be comfortable with the brooms I put, and not being surprised with what the rock does. I, now, sometimes 
you step on the ice for the first time in a tournament and it's automatic like basically kind of the ice is meant for your team and yourself so it's really easy to you know play a very high level of curling early on in the event sometimes it's more difficult and sometimes you just don't catch it at all so now uh, we're heading into an arena we've been you no know, kind of used to play on arena ice the last few years so now, we hope that we'll get a good feel right from the start and hopefully be able to play some, some good curling from game number one. Yours is a veteran team, and you likely don't have as many chances left to qualify for the Olympics as some of the younger teams in the pretrials. Does this put more pressure on your team, or do you not let that stuff bother you anymore? No, no, I'm realistic. The curling, you know, ever, since we won the Briar, curling has, has changed drastically. Uh, no, teams are putting more and more efforts in. They're basically professionals. I basically admire their, you know, basically the, the amount of time they, they put in the gym and basically preparing themselves and, and, and touring all, I don't know, all over the country and the world to, you know, to uh, obtain the best level of play they can as a team. And so, no, uh, I think we're one of the last old school uh, curling team with decent success, which, you know, when I say old school is having day jobs, family, and trying to fit curling in between all of that. Uh, we're lucky. We're, uh, I would say, a pretty well-oiled team, so we know what to do, not to do, and uh, how to uh, approach games against the top-level teams. But like you say, like uh, I'll be 32 and uh, 42. Sorry, in January, my second egg will be 47. So now it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that uh, no, we're uh, you know, we're uh, closer to the end than to the beginning. Your team hasn't played a full schedule in a few years now, and it seems like you are following a similar pattern this season. Will you be playing in many events in October, or will you be playing a light schedule to be well-rested by the time you get to Summerside? Considering like our work commitment and the family, uh, no, it is time-consuming in a different way. So what we've we've basically built our schedule. Uh, we started last weekend with our first event, and we will be playing every two weeks until Summerside. So for us, that's perfect. We found over the years that playing three week uh, weekend, three weekends in a row doesn't you know, suit our team uh, very well. Usually, when we get to the third event, there's one of the guys who's basically has got problem with his work or thinking about stuff he'll have to do when he comes back on work on Monday. So at the end of the day, we weren't as focused as we uh, should have been on the ice. So every two weeks for us is perfect, and we started last week. So we've got two more events prior to the pre-trials, and uh, now we're confident that. We'll be able to arrive over there in the you know, decent form. Uh, besides that, we'll be practicing quite a lot each on our side. And uh, no, we'll, we're confident we'll be able to, to get a good show. And finally, Jean-Michel, what would it mean for you and your team to represent Canada at the Olympic Games? Well, I think it would be an amazing curling story to be told uh, for years to come, kind of a Cinderella story. I guess we were one of the last teams to qualify for the pre-trial. So, but no, just the honor of representing your country at the Olympic Games was uh, would be something totally amazing. But quite frankly, we're not putting any pressures on ourselves. Like our goal right now is to do a very good performance in Summerside, hopefully qualify to 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 play in Ottawa, and from there, like be, try to be major spoilers. And if basically the stars align and we're the team that wins, well, uh, good for us, and we'll be more than happy to head to South Korea. Our second guest on the road to Summerside this week is Nadine Scotland, whose team won four titles last season on the World Curling Tour and just recently defended her title at the Avenir Cashpiel in Edmonton.
Nadine, uh, there are some in our audience that may not know much about you and your team. Can you tell us a little bit about your curling background and perhaps tell us a little bit about the members of your team? Well, um, first off, um, we are formally known as Team Kiz. So um, the whole Team Scotland can confuse a few people as it already has at the start of the season. Um, so yeah, I, my maiden name is Chiz. So we've had some um, success on, on the tour um, as that, but Heather Rogers is our lead and I curled with her back in 2006 and we won gold at Alberta Winter Games and she also um, is an Alberta Junior Provincial Champion. And Rebecca Conchu, our second, um, she also represented Alberta at the junior level and she won the Junior Canadians in 2012. Um, where I curled with her as I joined um, their team, Team Peterman, or Team Canada, as their fifth at the Worlds. And then Heather Jensen is our third, and um, she's a Canadian mixed gold medalist, and um, she has a a lot of experience in women's and um, also a a previous pre-trials appearance. And um, I've been curling with um, Heather Jensen for four years now, and um, together, this is our team's second year um, playing all together. And, um, yeah, last year we had some success on tour last season claiming um, four um, WCT titles. You just provided a terrific segue to my next question. Uh, your team had solid results last season, winning four World Curling Tour events. How much confidence did that give your team heading into this important Olympic season? I think that last season um, definitely like gave us some confidence, like being a new team. Um, well, me and the two Heathers had played together um, a couple years before. Um, so it was really nice having Becca come onto our team and make that um, a really good transition and to see the success that we had. Um, it definitely still um, is going to take a lot of growth this year, but we, we have that experience from last year that we can bring into the season, which I think is very helpful. Um, I think a lot of teams, when you're going to the pre-trials, we don't have the same amount of experience as obviously the teams do at the trials. So having those finals at the World Curling Tour events, I think um, can definitely help us um, with that, that kind of games under our belt. The start of the season has been a bit of a mixed bag so far for your team, but you're about to head into the part of the schedule where your team did really well last season. I'm assuming you're hoping these events will help your team get some momentum going before heading to Summerside for the pre-trials. Yeah, um, we definitely had um, a bit of struggle the last couple weekends. Um, And I wouldn't say struggle. I think we just got um, really close and um, things didn't work out for us in two tiebreakers in both the events we were in. So I think we, we've learned a lot. Um, we had a really good um, practice weekend um, on the weekend because um, we had a weekend off and um, worked on a lot of things that we had talked about and um, want to focus on moving forward. So um, this weekend coming up will be really good to kind of put that all into practice and keep building as we, we go along with our season. Yours is one of those teams that is on the cusp of the top 20, which is when you are best positioned to get invites to slams, you get access to additional sponsorship, etc. What needs to happen for Team Scotland to get over that hump and make a run at the top 20 in the world? We definitely do want to kind of break through that that cusp to get um, into those those events. We we did a lot of discussions at the end of last season and um, looked at what a lot of the top teams were doing and um, what we were doing and what we kind of needed or what we thought we needed to get there. 
And um, we're trying to use a lot more resources this year that can develop um, all of us as players. But uh, I think the biggest thing is consistency. Um, we, we have a lot of fun, the four of us. So I think that's a really good building block for us because we um, respect each other and um, have a lot of fun on and off the ice. And I think that also allows us to have a lot of good, open and honest conversations. So we can kind of work through all the all the things or to talk, have those opportunities to talk through um, what we what we feel like we need and um, and hopefully that consistency will will help us um, kind of break through and try to get that that leap to the next level. And finally Nadine what would it mean for you to represent Canada at the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang? Oh well I mean the Olympic level is is just something that um, every athlete aspires to to get to and like for for us to compete for Canada and to wear the maple leaf at the Olympics would would just mean so much that um, I mean I don't I don't know if you can even put it into words it would just be absolutely incredible. It's now time for this week's Fresh Pebble, your news and notes from the world of curling. International curling returns to Champagne, Switzerland this week, where the 2017 World Mixed Curling Championship will take place. The event will run from Friday, October 6th until Saturday, October 14th in the Palladium de Champagne. Now in its third year, the championship continues to attract record numbers, with 38 teams taking to the ice this season, including debuts from Luxembourg and Hong Kong. Among the athletes of note participating in the World Mixed Championship are two-time world curling champion Andrea Schopp, who will vice-skip Germany, current world junior champion Isabella Vrana, who leads Sweden, and 2014 World Mixed Doubles bronze medalist Sergio Vez, who will skip the team from Spain. Curling Canada announced last week that Brazil has issued a challenge for the second spot reserved to the Americas region at the 2018 World Men's Championship in Las Vegas. Under normal circumstances, Canada, the defending world champions, would have been guaranteed the first America spot at the Worlds, but the U.S. is guaranteed a spot as host country for the 2018 World Men's Championship. The best three out of five series between Canada and Brazil will be played concurrently with the Continental Cup in London, Ontario, starting on January 11th. The team that will represent Canada against Brazil has yet to be determined. USA Curling announced last week that its Judiciary Hearing Panel has decided that Todd Burr and his team have won their grievance against the 2018 Olympic Trial Selection Committee and have been added to the list of teams that will compete at the U.S. men's trials. Team Burr will now join Team Schuster, Team McCormick, Team Brown and Team Clark next month in Omaha, Nebraska. Speaking of USA Curling, last month From the Hack caught up with 2017 U.S. champion Jamie Sinclair to discuss how her team is working towards peaking in time for the Olympic trials. Jamie, the last time you and I spoke was less than a week following your team's victory at the U.S. Nationals, and it certainly seemed like things were still a bit of a blur for you. Now that you've had several months to let it sink in, how does it feel to be a national champion? Oh, it's it's an unreal feeling. Uh, it still feels really good. Um, I think one of the best parts is uh, we've been doing a lot of like community out- outreach, um, going doing uh, children's hospital visits, and it's been really great to be able to say that we are the national team here, um, the national champions 2017, doing all of these, um, these outreach programs. So that's been a huge bonus just to have that title kind of um, attached on to our, our team name. As you know, in Canada, when a team has a breakthrough victory like that, it typically opens a lot more doors for them, both with regards to invites to different events, but also added sponsorships and other commitments. Have you and the team experienced anything similar since your victory at Nationals last season? Yeah, um, I wish it was as big as 
it would be uh, if we won the nationals up in Canada. We have definitely seen a little bit of improvement. Um, we've been able to put it on our sponsorship package, that title, and I think that that, that may have helped uh, securing some of our sponsors, but uh, it's definitely not contributed to huge dollars amount, dollar amounts or anything. So um, it's still a grind to, to find sponsors to, to be able to pay for our season, but definitely fortunate for the ones that we that we did secure. Skips at the elite level are generally a confident bunch to begin with, but I'm wondering how much your success last season at the Continental Cup, the U.S. Nationals, and the Champions Cup help your confidence as a player going into this Olympic season, seeing as how you and the team were able to perform well on bigger stages last season. Oh, definitely. Um, just being able to uh, the fact that we, we proved that we were able to perform at that highest level um, is a huge boost of confidence, uh, knowing that we're just kind of feeling like we belong. I'm sure if we just got our, our butts whooped, then uh, we wouldn't have that same perspective. So knowing that we're able to c- compete at that highest level and uh, that we belong there, it's a great feeling. Uh, definitely given us some confidence going into this next season. When we spoke last season, you mentioned that the whole team would be living near each other and training with each other, and you hoped it would help you grow as a team. Now, a year later, can you speak about how having the team members in such close proximity to one another has helped both on and off the ice? Having everybody live in the same city has been a huge benefit, and I love the fact that uh, this team is extremely organized. We, uh, We have everything planned out. We know exactly what we're doing every week. We spend a ton of time together. Uh, both on and off the ice, we're doing. We have um, scheduled practice plans uh, ahead of time. We got our team workouts together. Um, we got team bonding every now and again. Uh, a bunch of outreach programs that we're doing together. So I think being able to um, spend that time together, we've got to know each other uh, a lot better, which uh, helps us get through tough times out on the ice. So that's been a huge benefit for us. And then being able to practice together all the time, uh, we're able to continuously improve our game. In the first part of last season, your team had mixed results, but you always seemed to have somewhat difficult draws. How much did those difficult early games benefit your team later in the schedule, specifically when you made your nice run, starting at the Continental Cup, then the Nationals, and then the Champions Cup? Well, I mean, at the time, it kind of sucked uh, losing those big games, um, but we knew that we were playing really tough opponent, opponents. So I guess we wouldn't really change anything, because if, we uh, if we were just breezing by with no adversity, then... Uh, we wouldn't have learned as much as we did last year. So we're definitely, we're okay with it in the long run, playing those tough teams because we learned a lot and uh, that helped us kind of build character going into uh, bigger events like the Continental Cup and the uh, Nationals. Your team entered the season ranked 28 in the world rankings and are now in the top 15. Can you speak of one or two things your team has been working on that you believe will help you remain in the top 15 and perhaps challenge for the top 10 as time goes on? Yeah, top 15 is definitely our goal, and uh, throughout the summer, we've sat down a bunch of times to try to figure out what we can do to to get ourselves in that position, and to be honest, we've come up with a lot of stuff. Um, There's a lot of different areas that we want to work on and that we have been working on. We have, we spent a lot of time working on our strategy, um, just tweaking things here and there on uh, different plays that we can do, and, and overall, just on the ice, working on our consistency, just being able to... Uh, to play consistently at a, a little bit higher higher level, a couple percentage points higher than what we were playing at last year. Those are kind of our two main focus areas, and uh, 
yeah, we strongly believe that if we can accomplish those and, and stay consistent there, then we'll have a, a very successful season. Obviously, most teams in Canada and the U.S. are focused on the respective Olympic trials this season. How much work have you and your team done off the ice to make sure that you don't get tunnel vision with regards to the trials, which could lead to a lack of focus in tour events and perhaps some bad habits heading into the trials? Yeah, we've uh, we've had a lot of meetings with our sports psychologists to uh, try to figure out how we're going to approach the season, and obviously the trials being a huge factor in this season. Uh, basically, it all came down to just being task-oriented um, and not thinking about the outcome, not thinking about that big picture being the trials. So we're really just taking every event one at a time, thinking about more process goals, figuring out what exactly we need to do in, in every game and every end and every shot, uh, just accomplish those things one at a time. And uh, eventually it's going to lead us to, to the trials. And then we're also kind of, since it is such a big year with, with a lot of big events like the trials and the Olympics, we're, we're trying to basically approach every event that we're playing in as if it were the trials to to try to mimic that same feeling kind of that we would get at the trial so that we're prepared once we're there um, and just uh, comfortable with uh, with all of our routines and, and what's happening. And so, yeah, so that's kind of what we're, that's kind of our approach for this season. And finally, Jamie, you recently competed in an event at the very venue where the Olympic trials will be held. Do you believe that your recent practices and game time at the Baxter Arena in Omaha, Nebraska might give you a leg up at least at the start of the week once you get to trials? Oh, definitely. Yeah, um, we think it was, it was definitely an advantage um, to be able to compete in that same venue. Uh, mind you, the other teams that are also going to be competing at the trials were able to go to the event and practice when there were no draws being played. So they also uh, got to experience that same venue and the same ice conditions. But we were able to uh, get actual games on that ice, which we think is is super beneficial. Also, the little things like figuring out, getting comfortable with the locker rooms and where they are and where the closest bathroom is if you need to run off the ice in the middle of a game and uh where what restaurants are close by, which ones we like. Um, we've kind of tested out the food at a bunch of different ones, so that's been awesome. Got to stay in the same hotel or um, a similar hotel as that we'll be staying at during the trials. Really just kind of getting a good grasp for the environment, um, being able to kind of get that image in your in your mind so that when we're back home here and just visualizing the trials and mentally preparing, uh, we have a solid image to uh, refer back to. The next episode of Behind the Hack with Shell Bernard is now available online. Shell's guest this week is 2014 Olympic bronze medalist and 2013 world champion Eve Muirhead. Among the subjects discussed by the two Olympic medalists are the parallels between golf and curling, how Team Muirhead has prepared for this Olympic season, and the close friendship between Eve and her third Anna Sloan. Here is a clip from the interview where Muirhead discusses the added pressure she feels now that she has matured as a player and is recognized as one of the premier skips in the world. You know what, I, I do, and I do a lot, and I think that only really kind of hit me probably when it came to, to Sochi time, the Olympics, because as you say, like the last, the years before that, like Vancouver Olympics, like I, I was young, and yes, I'd won three world junior titles before Vancouver, but they just seemed to happen if you know what I mean like every minute we had such a laugh we enjoyed a bit it's like you didn't have an awful lot to, to lose you you kind of called a game that that you wanted to call yourself and you felt like you didn't have a lot of people kind of judging you and kind of telling you what you should what you should do um, differently if you know what I mean <laughs> 
Our feature interview this week is with Arancho Garcia, one of the leading players in Spain who was part of the team that won a bronze medal at the 2014 World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship. Garcia has also represented Spain at the World Mixed Championships and the European Championships. Garcia joined us to discuss her career, the growth of the sport in Spain, and changes she's observed in the level of play at the Mixed Doubles World Championships since the event was added to the Olympic schedule. Aransu, thank you for taking the time to speak with us only a day or two before you leave for the World Mixed Championships, where you will be playing a bit of a different role this time. Well, I was there last year for the World Mixed, but this year I'm going there a different way. I'm going there as an umpire for the WCA, so I'm not going to be there as a player. We played our nationals in February, and my team came second, so we didn't get the chance to be there, but I got a call in the summer from the WCF. Like, if I wanted to be an umpire, I could be. Before we start talking about your curling career and about the growth of the sport in Spain, I want to follow up on the fact that part of the reason why you will be umpiring at the World Mixed Championships is that you've been involved in some of the training sessions offered by the World Curling Federation during the summer. Can you speak to how attending these training sessions have helped you develop as a player? Well, I I decided to be in person because I already knew I was going to go to the Winter Paralympic Games in March. Uh, So I felt I needed a little bit of training in umpiring. So I was there and it was a really good experience for me as a player because I believe you also need to know the rules properly to be a good player. And I also took the advanced instructor course because here in Spain we don't have many coaches and uh, we really want to develop curling because we are only like 150 players. So I thought it was really important for me to go there and learn. And I also was an assistant for the second year in a row at the junior camp. That's like a really good experience to get to know a lot of people from many countries, have fun with the kids, and learn myself. You just mentioned junior curling, and it leads well into my next question. When did you start curling, and how did you get introduced to the sport? So that was when I was 10. Uh, I used to do ice skating, and my mom and dad were always watching uh, how I skate, and they were, like, kind of bored. They said, like, why don't we play a sport where we can all play together and travel together? And it happened that uh, someone from Andorra, which is uh, really close to us, came to teach curling. We all liked it. We all tried it. And we said, like, maybe we could all four play together, like my mom, dad, my brother, and me. So that happened, and we completely... I put away ice skating and focused completely on curling. We traveled to Scotland for the first time, the four of us together, and since then, until now. Do you remember the first time you watched the sport of curling, either on TV or online? As soon as I started playing, I felt needed to watch some curling on TV to learn. So I remember watching my first games was the Europeans, uh, 2003. And yeah, it was... Um, it was pretty amazing because you just started playing curling and you basically know nothing. So all those players playing there in a high level, it's yeah, it was pretty scary. And I never thought I could be there. But it was challenging for me at the beginning. But uh, I said, well, if they can be there playing in front of a crowd, why couldn't I? 
And yeah, it was good. Curlers in countries such as Canada are often spoiled because there are several dedicated curling facilities available to practice on and play in, but that is not the case in most emerging curling countries. Does Spain have any dedicated curling facilities, or do you have to share a facility with ice skating and hockey? Unfortunately, we share arenas with hockey and ice skating. We don't have a curling drink yet. Uh, there's not a lot of players, as I mentioned before, in Spain for the government to consider to build at least one drink. But it's also true that we have one ice rink in Haka, which is right in the middle of the Pyrenees. That's the mountains in Spain, close to the French border. They have a small drink with three seats that they only use for curling during the year. And sometimes they have a skating if it's really busy, maybe Christmas and Easter. And we now have an ice technician there that has been working as well for the WCF a few like a few events experience so yeah it's not full-time a curling rink but it's close enough so that we can practice there play or all of our nationals there has the spanish government provided the sport of curling with more funding now that curling is an olympic sport specifically in mixed doubles which is an event where spain has had some success uh, from the beginning, when we started playing, every time you went somewhere as a national team, the federation would pay for your hotel and travels. But it was after 2014 where we won the bronze medal at the World Mixed Doubles. Uh, we like it completely changed the view from the government. They thought we really had a chance, at least in mixed doubles. So they put a lot of money to us to keep playing mixed doubles. So we now get funded by the government and also our regional government, which is a, bit, a little bit different from the national one. So we get those two fundings to go everywhere, play, have a coach, everything. As you just touched on, you were part of the team that won the bronze medal at the 2014 World Mixed Doubles Championships in Scotland. How much did winning that medal change your career as a curler, and did it provide you with any additional opportunities to curl in events around the world? Yeah, I think it absolutely changed everything for us. Before the bronze medal, we had a fourth place in Russia in 2010, and we never thought we were going to be up there again, because in the beginning, mixed doubles wasn't really important for countries such as Canada, Scotland, Norway, or Sweden, but with the years, they've put in, like, really strong teams and harder to beat so it was really really special for us to win that bronze medal we worked really hard within mixed doubles because in men's and women's um we don't really have a chance to be up there and i remember going into that game after losing the semi-final to switzerland uh we were playing hungary which were the world champions at the time and i was really really scared because i felt like i can't be fourth again I think it was an awful feeling four years ago, like 2010. I was like, can't be. So we went there trying our best, and it really worked. And, yeah, it was really, really special. And after that bronze medal, all the press in Spain wanted to do interviews, everything. Curling is now, I think, more known in Spain because of that. Have you seen an increase in the number of people trying the sport of curling since you won the bronze medal at the World Mixed Doubles in 2014? Yeah, definitely. More people want to try and more people know what it is. They don't need to ask what's curling, which is good. 
The problem I find in Spain is that because we don't have the right facilities, uh, we train in a very strange hours. We have uh, ice sun Saturday and Sundays from 2 to 4, which would be lunchtime in Spain. So people feel really hard to commit to keep playing. Uh, it's weekends, it's family time, and yeah, it's really hard for them to commit. So we have a few more players, but I wish there were more. Now, in Canada, it's easy for younger teams to play as many games as they want during a season, but I realize that's not the case in countries such as Spain. How often does your team get to play competitive games during a typical curling season? Well, uh, I believe we don't play as many games as Canadians do because they are always playing something. But, yeah, we play a few games uh, during the weekends, even club games. And then uh, my brother and I... Uh, try to at least play an event every month. And with that, I think I mentioned the one in Hakka. We we have a few more competitions going, so we make sure every month at least we have a competition, and then we play club games on weekends. You just mentioned the fact that you play with your brother, especially in mixed doubles. Playing with a brother or sister works very well sometimes, but other times it can be difficult. Yeah, definitely. It's sometimes hard because uh, because he's my brother. I could tell him things I wouldn't tell to a friend, but we're really close. Uh, we understand each other. We know when we need support or what what we need from each other. So I think it's really good for us. Uh, I'm really happy to be playing with him. I think he is as well. You might need to ask him, but yeah, we, we're really happy to play together and uh, we're working on sometimes the fights we have on ice. We're working on that and nowadays we barely fight on the ice. We just go and play, have fun and understand each other. A bit earlier you mentioned that mixed doubles did not really gain much attention in some of the traditional curling countries until it was made an Olympic event. How much of a difference have you seen in the level of competition at mixed doubles events since the sport has been added to the Olympic schedule? Well, I think uh, when it was made Olympic, everything changed. All the top players thought maybe we don't get a chance in men's or women's because, for example, in Canada, you have to play so many games and to win and to be in the Olympics that they thought, well, maybe mixed doubles is worth trying. And it happened the same to other countries. So now we have the top players playing mixed doubles as well, which is good because it brings the level up, definitely. But sometimes I feel the top players don't don't get mixed doubles as like, as well as we do. So we are playing a normal game. I've been playing for 10 years now, mixed doubles, and it's a drawing game. It's true that you have to make hits sometimes, but I feel like um, countries like Canada and Norway, they play way more hits than we do. And sometimes it's just hard to follow. And I don't think it's wrong or good. Like any team can have the play like, play like they want, but... I don't know, it's different, and I've seen that difference uh, the last few years only. In many emerging curling countries, they take the top players from across the country and put them on the same team in the hope that it will help them get better results at international events. Spain has not done that, at least not yet. Is that something that you would hope the Federation would do, at least in the women's competitions, or would you rather them keep it the way it is now? That's a really interesting point. In Spain, we don't have a lot of players, as you know, and... uh, uh, we always play by clubs, so that means you you play with your friends or your family, whatever. We don't have, like, they have in Sweden a selection of the best players, 
And I, I think it works for Sweden, obviously, because they've won a few events. But um, I don't know if it worked for me because I feel really comfortable playing with my friends or family. I know them. Uh, I know what they want on ice. Uh, I feel like we're all happy playing together. And maybe if I was put in another team that I didn't know for so many years, it felt uncomfortable for me. Like, I didn't know them so well. I don't know what they want on ice, what they really want from me. It's also true that when sometimes when we won the national, we take as a fifth player someone from another team, and it usually works. But for me, it feels really good to play with my friends. And if you also see some other countries, maybe Netherlands, uh, I've known the Dutch team forever, and it's always been the same players, and they are good friends. And maybe they are not the best in the country, but it works. So when you have a small country with curling, it's really hard to get the top players to play because you really want to develop curling in your country and if you only took the top player then the rest would lose interest I think. It's completely true like it's been proved with our nationals because for the last six years it's been two teams always winning gold and silver it's my team and the team from San Sebastian. If we were all together it'd be one team winning the gold every year whereas playing separately we have a lot of players going to Europeans, trying high events and learning. The sense I get from you is that you will be involved in the sport of curling for a number of years, whether it's as a player, a coach, or an administrator. Is that part of your long-term plan to help grow the sport of curling in Spain? Yeah, nothing would make me happier than work for curling in Spain for a long time, uh, helping develop juniors, because uh, I think you need good juniors to later have good women's and men's teams and also mixed doubles and like it's my dream right now I feel it's really hard to fulfill because like we don't have anyone in Spain full-time working for curling uh we need I don't know what we need more money I guess and I also qualified recently as a doctor which means I'm kind of trying to think now whether I want to be a full-time doctor I want to be a part-time and then focus on curling as well. You got me in a challenging time of my life. And finally, Aranzu, uh, as it stands right now, is your main dream and focus from a curling perspective to qualify for the 2022 Olympics in mixed doubles? Yeah, that's definitely my one dream right now. And it's not really fair to my women's teams because I know they really want to win and be in the A group, but um, I think our level right now is b group and we have to assume that like we're not a good enough to be in the a group or the olympics so i'm not really focused on mixed doubles uh, i really really want to make to the olympics in 2022 but that really also depends on the funding we get and the help we get from our federation government because if we don't get any money all the rest of the countries will and they will eventually be better than us so it's not only about me I hope it was only my decision, but it's not. But hopefully we can be there. And that does it for Episode 9 of the From the Hack Podcast. My thanks to all of our guests. Join us next week for more interviews with some of the key personalities from the curling world. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at From the Hack, Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.